Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams, and this is episode 183, and we are talking all things bison, starting a farm store, and the mental health struggles of farmers and ranchers. So on the show today, I am interviewing David Norloose from Copper Flats Bison Company in Wyoming, Ontario. So in the interview, David and I are going to talk about his background, how he got into raising bison, the popularity of bison meat, and kind of how the past five or ten years it's really kind of exploded, and how he and his family opened up a farm store And they've been working with local chefs and local restaurants to build a whole lot of rapport with the community to get people interested in coming to their farm and trying their meat. And how they tried a really cool thing called a Christmas tree toss where people could take their Christmas trees after Christmas, throw them into the field with the bison and the bison would, you know, scratch on them and munch on them. So I thought that was really cool. That's a very interesting way to engage with the community to have a cool event like that. And then David and I will also talk about some mental health struggles that he sees in agriculture, in ranching, and kind of a lot of the tools that are slowly but surely being more readily available to farmers and ranchers. So this was an awesome interview. Check out David and his family at Copper Flats Bison Company at all of the links below. And of course, if you want to see clips of today's interview, if you want to see a bunch of other cool content we have like farm tours and all that good stuff, be sure to go over to our YouTube channel, which is also linked below in the description, and you can see all those videos, clips from our interviews, and everything Farm Traveler related. So without any further ado, enjoy this episode with David as we talk all things bison, starting a farm store, and mental health in ag. Um, All right, well, David, welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast, man. Super excited to chat with you. Thanks. So we've actually not really met before, but, you know, we did a reel a couple of months ago talking about bison farming, which I thought was really cool. Um, I always am like, you know, 
I don't know. I think it's just so cool and classic to see like a, a beef ranch. I mean, do you ever, does it ever kind of get old walking out there and just seeing all the bison out there? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty tough. <laughs> I bet. So how did you, how exactly did you get into it? I mean, you're in Canada, you're in Wyoming, Ontario, not Wyoming, yep. United States. Yep. So yep. how exactly did you get into to bison ranching? Uh, so I grew up on a farm. Uh, okay. I actually still farm like full time with my brother and my dad actually, um, and some extended family as well. But we're kind of starting to separate that a little more. Uh, so actually, I grew up on a beef farm, so I was familiar with large animals, I guess. Uh, but there was a bison farm around the corner from us growing up, and uh, I just I thought they were the coolest thing ever. So that <laughs> kind of started the addiction, and I kind of always thought about it a little bit. Never really thought it'd be something that. Uh, that I'd actually do, but then uh, uh, I think, I don't know, it was before my wife and I got married, I, I was talking to her about it one day, and finally she was like, you know what, we should just look into it more, like, go ahead, so I started looking into it, and I went all the way. Well, there you go, it, it's funny how, you know, the wives are kind of, they have such great ideas for us to do, because that's that's how, honestly how Farm Traveler started, my wife oh, yeah. was like, hey, you know, you haven't taught ag in a while you're doing something different you should start a blog and i was like okay so started it so it's funny how they have great ideas yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) so what's kind of the i know bison here in the u.s has a very interesting history i mean there were millions and millions on the plane so what's the history of bison look like in canada i mean not only just like wild bison but also like bison farming in general yeah um it's i guess it's pretty tied to the state's history uh, be very similar. Um, it is there. There is uh, some history here in Ontario, like in our province, uh, although not near. I guess there wouldn't have been near as large a footprint of bison here on the you know the Great Lakes area as it was out west. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still do figure that they there were some in this area. Um, so of course, I think it followed the the herd. Of course, moved. You know. They didn't care about the border, so those wild herds moved back and forth. So that's why our, the history of the animals is really tied to the same, uh, to the American history as well. Um, so I think that's actually where we get a lot of our information from, even too, is, is sources out of, out of, you know, south of the border. Um, they did, uh, at one point, they, they did save some herds out west, and that's where we get the, the um, I think the only, oh, I don't want to be wrong about this, but one of the only woods pure woods herds is out Mm. west like wild herds Um, oh okay so as far as i know at least that's at least for canada i don't know what the states did but uh but uh so that yeah it's it's pretty rich history for i think for both our countries yeah and i mean i mean it's one of those like i don't know i you see a bison whether it's now or you know pictures you just think of like you know the historical implications that bison had i mean Back when we were settling the West, I mean, there were just so many where they literally had trains of hunters, like, going, yeah. clearing all the bison. And, I mean, yeah. I'm sure that had, just, obviously, it had a traumatic impact on the population. And so it's cool that, I, I don't know, I feel like the last five or ten years, more people have been interested in bison. I mean, what's kind of that time frame been like? Yeah, I'd say mo- probably the last five or ten years, it's really, uh, really piqued a lot of interest. I We actually only started our farm about five years ago. Um, is when we got our first animals to start our herd. So we're kind of in that, you know, <laughs> latest swing of people coming <laughs> in. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, 
there's definitely been been a lot more interest in it. I think it's just it's just kind of hit the news a little more, or, or news mm-hmm. I should say, more people have become aware of I guess the benefits of eating the of of the meat uh, nutritionally. Um, so that that has really really helped. Um, there's not near as much stigma that it's a game animal, like that it has a mm-hmm, gamey yeah. taste. It's become a little more mainstream, and I think part of that is helped by uh, at least in Canada here, starting to see it in some of the grocery stores even. Um, which you, I don't think you, were, you didn't find that too much five, ten years ago. You probably would find a little bit of it, but uh, it's become a little more commonplace uh, here as well. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I feel like the the resurgence of it started with Ted's Montana Grill here in the U.S. Do y'all have that in right. Canada? Uh, no, we don't. No. Okay, yeah, there's a couple. There's one in Tallahassee, Florida, and a couple sprinkled throughout the state. And I mean, they're they're not like a super-duper big chain, mm-hmm. but I feel like when they started five or ten years ago, people were like, oh, wait, like, yeah. this isn't super gamey. This is, like, very accessible. And then it slowly started showing up in stores. And then, you know, kind of like you guys, like, you, you saw that trend, I guess, and then you're like, hey, let's get into bison farming. Like, what was the inspiration behind that? And what was the whole process like of starting from scratch, really, on bison ranching? Yeah, for sure. I think we saw that that growing interest in it, and I think that kind of piqued our interest that, hey, you know, we could actually, we could have these really cool animals, for one, and, mm-hmm. you know, potentially actually make a viable living uh, by by raising them and being able to, to sell meat, right? Um, so you kind of, yeah, in order to conserve the animal, you got to be able to make some money, too. It doesn't come from nowhere, so... <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's not like you're, you know, you're getting rich by any stretch of the imagination with bison farming or just like regular ranching. Um, So like, did you, did you buy um, like a couple of calves, older bison? Like, what did that look like managing and like also like number wise? Sure. Um, So I had a couple of guys close by or good mentors uh, that I met that were in the bison industry. Um, So they really advised me to start with younger animals. So what I did is I bought seven bred heifers the first year. Um, they were, they were two-year-old heifers. So yeah, the younger animals. So they kind of, whatever they came in and they've kind of settled in and and it kind of creates a good base herd that's used to our area and treats it as home. So I had seven red heifers the next summer I bought a, bought a breeding bull and then I kind of, I've kind of bought a few, uh, a few more every year since. So we got between 15 and 20, uh, heifers and cows in our cow herd now. Okay, yeah, that seems like really, really manageable. I mean, I guess bison always come with the connotation of herds, you know, where you're yep. gonna have like maybe a hundred or two hundred on your farm. But it seems like you have a manageable size. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's tough here. Our our farmland is is very, very expensive. Um, mm. We have to compete against growing crops. Um, so we've got some pretty fertile ground here. So to you know jump in and have a pasture big enough for 200 head is is that doesn't really happen right away <laughs> i bet yeah i bet that would be a little bit easier said than done um yeah what what does your what does your raising process look like i mean do y'all have like rotational grazing with bison like what i, I know that's something that a lot of consumers are more interested in now like you know rotational grazing um sustainable ranching like what what practices do you guys follow yeah so we're doing a lot of rotational grazing um, mm. we, we basically in the summertime, what it looks like, uh, uh, is I give the herd about one acre at a time and okay. I just use a, a single, we call it poly wire, uh, single little shock wire, uh, to separate them. And, uh, I move them 
pretty well every other day is how it works for us. Um, and we've played with that system all the time to see what works. And uh, of course, they're bison, so they're not quite as easy to maybe contain all the time. There's some <laughs> herd dynamics that go on that, you know, it can be going fine for two weeks. And then all of a sudden, it's like every day they're hopping that little fence and moving to the next piece of grass. Uh, it was kind of funny. I was just talking with a with another or messaging with another uh, bison rancher. And he was asking us about that, too. And I kind of said, you know, I tried to like prescribe that I wanted them on there for three days. Well, certain times of the year, it's like after two days, they're all hopping the fence. So we both said, well, that's kind of, we should probably just take that as a sign that they know better and it's time to move. <laughs> and maybe yeah, we, we should just move them. <laughs> they're looking for the better grass. They're trying to tell us, but they can't communicate it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, do, do beef cattle really do anything like that? Or is this, is that kind of really like a bison trait? Um, I think they do some, they do a lot of very similar things. Um, mm. it's just, I'd say a lot of that is, uh, yeah, I guess bison are just more wild yet. So they have a lot more mm. of that natural instinct. And I think it comes out a little more, it's a little more obvious. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I guess beef cattle have been domesticated for a little bit longer. So, I mean, you think yeah. bison kind of still have that wild tendency a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I think I see it, uh, even when we're handling them, uh, like when we have to bring them in the pens and that sort of thing, uh, Growing up with beef, yeah, you learn a lot of low-stress handling techniques, um, mm. and a lot of people told me, "Oh, don't you don't treat them like beef. Like you're going to hurt yourself if you if you forget that they're not beef." And and it's true, they're but they're they're very much the same in how they act um, and what they'll run from and pressure. Like when you uh, how you know where you put pressure on them. Uh, but I usually say with with beef, you know, you can be within ten feet of them and they'll move bison you gotta like triple that <laughs> really yeah so i just find they're very much the same but that wild instinct in nature is so much more there yet that uh that, yeah i think they do generally have a better idea when they got to move to better grass and where the better grass is and and those sorts of things that uh that yeah that kind of has basically been bred out of the beef cow that's interesting i mean do you think eventually that'll kind of be bred out of the bison like i don't know 50 to 100 years or something it definitely could be, um, if we're not careful how we manage them. Um, mm -hmm. Some I know some ranchers' philosophy is very much to, uh, yeah, if any animal needs too much extra assistance, they shouldn't be bred. Like their or their or their lives, mm -hmm. their offspring shouldn't be preserved. Um, to basically to keep that wild nature, um, you know, we don't have to help with calving because they they hmm. have naturally kept a lower birth weight and and they don't really have an issue with it and we really you know you got to put up with a few angry mama cows but uh <laughs> but it's worth it for for not having to assist at all right yeah that's nice i mean it seems like it's just a little bit more hands-off a little bit especially with the calving because i mean i follow a bunch of ranchers and i mean the calving season is one of the busiest seasons out there especially if you're managing a huge herd so that's great that for for bison you can be very hands-off yeah, yeah, we definitely try to leave them alone, like, as much as possible. Just, you know, go in the morning, count, see if there's a few calves or not, and carry on with your day. <laughs> Plus, I mean, you're talking about they're a little bit more wild. I'm sure if you went to go check on the calves, they would be extremely aggressive. Yeah, yeah, you definitely, there's <laughs> usually, you know, that is one helpful thing. You don't ever help with them because you can't help them. So mm. you just stay away and let them do it. <laughs> <laughs> just just look at a distance. It's like, all right, you guys are doing good. Yeah, <laughs> carry yep, on. That's right. That's right. 
So and when it comes to beef, um, like beef ranching, a lot of the, I mean, it's divided. You get the the leather from the hide. You get a lot of other stuff from the organs that go to, you know, medicine, glue, whatever. And of course you have the meat. Like what do the byproducts look like for bison? I mean, are you able to um, also sell the leather? What about, you know, the, I guess the, the fur or wool really? Like what all, what all can you get byproducts wise from the bison? Yeah, so I mean, really, they're, they're almost the same animal as beef, right? Being a being a bovine. Um, so yeah, very much the same byproducts. Uh, I guess unfortunately, like with the beef and beef world, uh, it's so large that that they can supply large markets, right? So with mm-hmm. our bison, we do try to find uh, people to you know buy the hides, and it frankly, it just doesn't happen all the time. Um, mm-hmm. I think people have lost. A little bit of the techniques and craft to be able to to deal with them and, and tan them and that sort of thing. So, but we do find uh, different people, different times. They take them. Uh, we have different uh, First Nations groups or uh, that will buy the skulls and uh, and hides and, and use them. Um, and yeah, we try to sell most of the like you know different cuts. We try to convince people to be more organ meats and different stuff like that to utilize, yeah, utilize more of the animal. Interesting. So is there more of a technique to kind of break it down carcass-wise? Um, no, it's actually quite similar. Like, really? Okay. Really, you get basically all the same cuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, going off of the cut thing, um, what about the marbling? Like, is it very similar to beef? I mean, since they're a little bit more wild, like, how does that kind of play into a part of it? Yeah, um, so you won't see the same grading charts as you would with beef. Oh. Like, you know, you you won't really get your triples and primes and and that sort of thing. Or I guess you guys have prime and choice and select in the states, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. In Canada, we call that like we have a single A, double A, and triple A. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so you don't really see those. The, the grading the grading charts would be different. Um, bison are extremely lean. Uh, mm. so there's not a lot of intramuscular fat or marbling. Um, however, depending on how they're fed and if they're finished well, they can have some decent fat in there. But I found, um, growing up with beef, uh, yeah, you can get some insanely good flavor out of very, out of a really well marbled ribeye, beef ribeye, right? These are much leaner, but I was blown away by the amount of flavor that's actually in there it's it's incredible um far more flavor i would say than lean beef and i really i i think that comes a little bit from i think i'd say slower growth more mm, age okay. i think some of that plays into that and then uh yeah maybe more of a diverse diet but that all depends on how they were fed too right yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like grass-fed versus grain-fed. I mean, so you mm-hmm. talked about the age and the slow growth of them. Like what, I mean, from time um, they calve until they're processed, like what's that age difference there? Uh, you're between two and three years depending on how they're fed. Okay. Yeah. If they're fed more grain, you're going to be on the earlier end. If they're fed, uh, you know, strictly grass-based, you're going to be pushing a lot farther. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot different than I think, I think like here in the States, the standard is like 18 months, like yep. around that for like a typical beef cattle. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that that slower growth that, I don't know, that's really interesting that it, that really plays into it. Cause I thought it would be very, very similar, but that, that extra six months or that extra year and a half would include mm. that would make that big of a flavor change. 
Yeah, I, I actually heard that from a guy that was teaching beef beef grading, and he was talking about the color of the beet. Um, mm. You get that really, like, bison meat, you'll get that really deep, rich red color. And uh, he said that does, basically, you'll see that in some beef, like, you'll see that a little more in grass-fed beef, and that he said that does, it's some with dye, but a lot of that has to do with the age of the animal that actually produces more of that. Oh, interesting. And so, I don't know if you mentioned it yet, but do y'all do grass-fed or grain-fed or both? Uh, we do a bit of both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, we do we do some grass fed, and it's they receive kind of I'd say a pretty low amount of grain. They get a bit of grain really? at the end to help finish. Um, they're not like like you could never finish a bison like you do a like you do a grain finished beef. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, there too, that hasn't been bred into them to be able to handle those kind of diets. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean. That's wild, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense because they're still not as domesticated as beef. They're still used to that grass diet. I mean, yeah. that's what they were eating for thousands of years over on the plains. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're accustomed to, really. Yeah, and and, I, and in the beef world, um, you know, for years and years, they selected the animals that just ate and ate and ate and ate and, you know, yeah. gained well. And, okay, well, that one eats a lot of grain. Well, we'll breed that one back. Whereas bison haven't had that done with them up to this point. And they will actually, you know, their stomach hurts. They'll stop eating. Um, hmm. Our, uh, it's kind of interesting. Our, our cattle nutritionist for our beef farm actually did a lot of research with beef, uh, with bison as well at West. And he said they did a big research trial. And he said, you know, bison would eat something one day and go, oh, my stomach hurts. And they wouldn't touch it for a few days. He said, whereas <laughs> the beef, it was like, you know, they get an upset stomach and they just think, oh, I got to eat more. So they'll go back and just yeah. keep eating and keep eating and keep eating. And yeah, they grow faster that way, but their stomachs aren't settled. Whereas bison won't do that. They'll, they'll self-regulate themselves more. That's interesting. And I mean, they also have four stomachs, correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. That's, right. That's weird that they have that instinct. That's yeah. so different. It's like, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to, I don't eat right now. I have yeah. another stomach. I'm going to wait and then eat later. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely associate certain foods and tastes <laughs> and they, they link them back and say, no, nah, I don't really want that. Or I'm only going to eat a little mm. bit tomorrow, you know? That's wild. That's cool. I mean, it's so interesting how they're so similar to beef, but also very, very different. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's wild. So I'm trying to do more cooking stuff with Farm okay. Traveler. You know, I'm trying to connect farmers with farmers and ranchers with consumers and now trying to show consumers like, you know, what you can do with those products. So sure. what are your favorite, maybe lesser known favorite cuts on a bison and then like your favorite ways to prepare them? I know there's probably a lot. Yeah, that's <laughs> tough. <laughs> um, oh, I mean, my my two favorite definitely have to be... I, I know most people like ribeyes. I love strip loin steaks. Really? Okay. Um, yep, yep. I love a good bison strip loin. Um, my second favorite thing, I think, would be to actually homemade burgers. Ooh, I bet that's really good with bison. Yep, I, I love it. Um a little bit of paprika, Worcestershire sauce in there, uh, some stuff like that. It it's just phenomenal. That sounds really good. I had um I had Honest Bison on the show about a year and a half ago. Okay. And they sent us some ground bison with heart in it. Oh yeah. And it was really inter- It was sweet. The guy okay. Sean, um, he's like their founder. He told me he's like it's gonna be a little bit sweet. It's gonna be a little weird. But I had it. I was like, oh my god, it is just a little bit of sweetness yep. there. But it's really good. Yeah, I'd say bison in general. I usually describe it as having a little sweeter taste 
than dead mm-hmm. beef. Um, but yeah, that's, you talk about the heart thing. We do that once in a while just at home here. We'll, we'll take either heart and or um, liver and just chop it up like really fine and yeah. throw it in with our ground when we, when we make like tacos and stuff. And uh, it's a, yeah, it's a great way to eat the liver and stuff. And you don't really taste it once you blend it in with the taco and ground, like with ground meat and the taco seasoning. And yeah, it's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. I follow meat eater on Instagram and, um, they shared, I mean, they're, they're, they were showing it like with deer wise, but I mean, you can definitely do this with beef or bison, but, um, the lady made heart tacos. Oh, yeah. And it looked like pretty good. She just like butterflied the heart a little bit to where it just looked like a steak and then you cut it up and fry it. Yeah. Um, it looked pretty good. I definitely want to try that. I also want to try um um beef tongue tacos. And I'm sure oh, yeah. I mean, is bison tongue a good thing to have too? Yeah, yeah. It's it'd be it's it's almost identical to a beef tongue, really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I looked up the recipe and it looks like I mean you know, you think about eating tongue, you're like, and that's going to be weird. But the way you boil it, you remove the skin, yep. and then you cut it up and fry it. It looks really good, and you wouldn't know what it is, like if no. it's in a taco or something. Yep, and I've even had it, uh, some people pre- prepare it like that, you know, boiled it and, and salted it and stuff. And uh, they just slice it up and have it as a, as a cold cut with cheese and crackers, and it's phenomenal. Oh, that does sound really good. Now, I mean, you don't do anything like super crazy like Liver King where you're eating some, some raw bison liver <laughs> no. or anything, right? <laughs> no, I haven't gone there yet. <laughs> that might Probably be good smart. For, yeah, it might be good for a few views. <laughs> you never know. I mean, right now, I mean, because, you know, he got busted for steroids, like everybody's yep. posting Liver King stuff online because, yep. you know, they're getting thousands or millions of hits, but that's yep. funny. <laughs> um, so you guys also opened up a farm store. Like, yeah. tell us, like, what was the inspiration behind that? Why'd you do it? And how's it been so far? Yeah, so I think that was kind of all, that was the goal all along when we got Bison. We wanted to, uh, I guess, direct market our product here. Um, mm-hmm. For us, where we are, it's actually one of the only avenues we can sell meat is selling it ourselves. Um, oh. There's no, I guess there's no larger commercial market here uh, in, uh, in Eastern Canada. Um, if you go out west, they do, but here, here we have none of that. So we actually have, if we want to sell anything, basically we have to direct market it all. Um, okay. So it was always kind of our plan. Um, my wife actually come, didn't grow up on a farm. So she was really interested too, in tying together the bit of the agri tourism and education thing. So mm. that, I don't know, it's kind of fun. It gives us that opportunity to, uh, to, yeah, to talk to other people, share what's going on and show them a little bit of farm life. Uh, so yeah, we started, um, couple years back we started actually selling we were just selling out of our garage um had a freezer and a little room set up in there and uh you know covid hit and yeah it was quite busy and we get a little cramped in the garage so we decided to uh to branch (laughs) out a little bit that's awesome yeah what was covid's impact i mean did you guys have i mean were like i don't know how in canada like were you guys locked down and then people slowly came to the farm store like what all was that experience like yeah we definitely were we were locked down pretty tight for a while, but that didn't really affect farm stores. Uh, hmm. We kind of fell okay. onto the same area as grocery. Uh, so we were allowed mm-hmm. to stay open. Um, so yeah, like I said, we were working out of our garage at first. Uh, and then, I'm trying to remember what year it is. The 20, 2021 is when we built the store. Yeah, so okay. that summer, uh, yeah, things had relaxed a little bit. Uh, we were definitely still under some COVID restrictions. Uh but, uh, yeah, we were able to build our store and we got it open in the summer and, uh, kind of went from there. COVID definitely, it definitely helped our sales. Um, 
people were were looking for something to do, so we were offering a place that they could they could come, they could bring their kids and explore around a little bit and and see something. So yeah, it was great. I bet. I mean, especially like being locked down, we had the same thing here in the states where after the lockdowns like sort of ended, like people wanted to get out. And so one thing that was booming was agritourism. Like people wanted to get out and do stuff and support locally. And they're like, Hey, here's a farm. Let's go tour it. And so I think that's been a huge bright spot that's happened because of COVID, which is wild to think about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One, uh, one fun thing was, uh, the last January, um, we did our first annual Christmas tree toss. So people could, uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. What we did is people could bring their 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 real Christmas trees uh, to the farm, uh, as long as they brought uh, some canned goods for donation to the the well we call it the Inn of the Good Shepherd. Um, so they could bring canned goods as a donation, and then they could drop off their Christmas tree, and uh, we would toss some to the bison. And really, all they do huh. is play with them. They use them as good okay. scratching posts and toss them around as good entertainment. And then uh, the rest of the trees, we had a um, a tree service company come in and they mulched them all and we'll use the, the mulch around the farm here for some bedding and composting and that sort of stuff. So people got to recycle their tree and we raised a bunch of foods for the, the uh, soup kitchen and uh, yeah, people came out and had a good time and the first year we did it was awesome because we had Christmas and I think about five days after Christmas they put us into complete lockdown again. Um Oof. But yeah, we were able to stay open, and it was an outdoor event, so people had a great time coming out, and uh, we continued that on this year, and it was another great success this winter again, so yeah. That's cool. I mean, that's huge. I mean, I'm here in Panama City, which is kind of like, you know, kind of urban a little bit, but um, we don't have anything like that for our Christmas trees. Like, we just put it by the road, and the dump truck picks them up. I mean, that would be so cool. That's such a cool thing. You saw an opportunity, and you took it, like... People yeah. need to dispose their Christmas trees. We need some mulch. Let's get people to visit the farm. That's a win-win-win. That's awesome. Yeah, it was yeah great time. We have somebody come out and make some food, and he sells sells some lunch and drinks, and yeah, it's lots of fun. And I mean, also like partnering with the food bank. I mean, bringing some canned goods. That's a great way you guys are helping out the community in an additional way. Yeah, yeah, no, it it went really well and was really well received by everybody. So uh, yeah, we're gonna keep trying to do that every year. That's awesome. And so I imagine um, hopefully that's brought up like a steady customer base for the farm store. I mean, do you guys have those like, you know, pretty set customers that come in once or twice a week or something like that? Yeah, definitely. So we're actually only open like we're only open two days a week. Um, oh, okay. But uh, that's worked well for us so far. Um, you're kind of constrained by the amount of labor you have. So we're, we've made it work. And uh but yeah, we definitely have our regulars, um, and then those sorts of events really bring out the new people, the ones that you know mm. get lots of people. Oh, I've been meaning to come by for so long, never did it yet, and finally saw this. So, no, it's it's really good, and and like you said, it's a great community building time, and lots of people see their friends there, and yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, it's fun to have those experiences. I bet where you know um, the word of mouth helps it travel. Like you have those fun experiences, like the Christmas tree toss. toss. They tell their friends, they tell their more friends, and then they go to the next event. I mean, are you trying to plan like quarterly events, something like that, where you can have more opportunities for people to come out? Yeah, um, we'll see what we do this summer. Last summer, what we actually did is uh, the Saturday of every long weekend here during the summer months, um, we did a breakfast on the farm. So Mm, we had, uh, there's a chef around the corner actually that that comes by and... uh, one week he did bison burgers. Uh, he did like a bison taco. 
oh, one, like cool. a breakfast taco. So different things like that. And it's just very casual um, for a Saturday morning sort of thing on a long weekend. You can come on out, pick up a meal like and uh, and just tour on the farm, show your kids. So, yeah, things like that through the summer to help boost uh, engagement and, and a little bit of tourism and, and sales is, yeah, it's, it's a great time. I bet it is. Um, so speaking of the bison being a little bit wild, are they fans of the people that come to visit on the farm? Like, how are they? Are they skittish at all or what? Yeah, they're a little skittish. You'll see them come up to the fence for a while. Like, they kind of get interested. Usually, you know, sometimes they'll throw <laughs> some treats and after a while you can tell they get a little sick and then they just move away. But they've, uh, I, they definitely get used to it. Um, they kind of, yeah, they ignore it after a while. <laughs> yeah. they're interested and then they become a little bit indifferent i bet <laughs> exactly yeah yeah for sure are um are the calves are they a little bit too wild to have like for a little petting thing like how is that yeah i'd say they're almost the worst ones <laughs> really yeah <laughs> they're just wild yeah. oh yeah yeah I, I think part of it has to do as the as they get older they they just learn i guess what the danger is and what isn't but uh mm-hmm. it's definitely the calves get the most excited the others uh Theater's kind of, yeah, like you said, they become a little indifferent to what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> the aggressive ones and then the indifferent ones. That's pretty yeah. funny. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but, I mean, the little babies are just so cute. I, honestly, I maybe it's because, like, right after I followed you guys, I would get reel after reel on Instagram of just bison. And there were just oh, yeah. so many, like, bison calves. There was one, um, I, I think it went viral. Um, y'all probably saw it where this, um, it was a big bale of hay. And the dad bison walked up, was like trying to destroy it, and he did. And then it cut to another video of like a calf bison trying to hit it, and the calf was, <laughs> yeah. was like, "I'm trying to be like my dad," but he was yeah. like just like barely putting a dent in it. <laughs> I think I do. I do remember that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. That was pretty cute. Yeah. Um, all right. So something else that you wanted to talk about, which I love talking about people like this, is mental health and farming. I mean, I mean. There's a lot that goes on on a farm. If you're a farmer, rancher, wherever, wherever, you know, whatever country you're in, like, how, like, how has it been for you as a full-time farmer and rancher? Like, how has mental health impacted you? And what's your whole idea on mental health and farming? Yeah, I think, I think it's a pretty huge topic. And, and, uh, I've noticed it for myself too. Uh, I guess I haven't had any, I'd say large struggles with it. I've had, uh, you know, times where I, you know, I have to step back and really check myself, but, uh, mm. I think. It's especially something in this age and, you know, it's, it's become, how do you say it? There's probably been more hype around, you know, farm stores, the Instagram side mm-hmm. of farming. And, uh, I think, I don't know, it's something we have to be careful with too, right? Uh, social media has been awesome for growing businesses and advertising your business. And yet at the same time, I wish we were never on it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some days it can be, it can be soul sucking just about, right? Like, uh, investing so much time and 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 it really can uh, take away, I think, from from real from the real connections that are right beside you, right? Um, I've, we've really noticed that. For my my wife does most of the social media stuff. I'm on it too. Um, but if you're not careful, it can just take over, right? And and it gets the way of our relationship and our kids. And uh, I think that's huge. And I think we can look. We can. We can see everybody else on social media and people, I mean, they can take some amazing pictures and, and, and everything can look so super uh, good and rosy to all of us sitting mm-hmm. here on our phones. Um, and it doesn't feel so good about what we're doing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think we have to, we have to take those checks and, and it's all right to check out once in a while. And, 
you know, we have periods too. We try to really push on online and, and do a good job of advertising and this and that. And other times we just say, you know what, it's not worth it right now. We just need to slow down, take a step back. Yeah, we'll post a few times a week, but uh, yeah, we just have to we have to take our time here and and uh, and check in with our with our friends and with our kids and our wives and and or husbands and yeah, it's just something that uh, I think can can really take over take over our lives if we're not careful and and yeah, it's it's one of the tough things, especially when you're. Uh, when there is a lot of stresses and, and uh, you know, all the work and the financials and, and it affects your family so, so closely that uh, it's easy to check out and live in this alternate reality. And, <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, that's, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah, it's so difficult because, I mean, you know, having a good social media presence can like really boost your business. But then you see people that are doing it different than you. And then, like, I've experienced this with, with the podcast. Like, you see people doing it better and having more success, and you're like, well, dang it. Like, why can't I do that? I mean, I don't know. It's not like it's not really FUMO, but it's more like, you know, a double standard. Like, you're jealous of their impact. You're jealous of what they're doing, and you're holding yourself to a higher standard. It's There's a lot that goes on there. And if you like mm-hmm. you're saying, if you don't check out, if you don't take a break from social media, it's going to be bad for you, like, mental health-wise. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's so crucial. Like you said, you, you just see other people and you want to keep up with them. When in reality, it's just maybe it's not exactly the direction you're meant to go, right? You you have mm-hmm. you have what you're called to do and responsibilities that you have that don't necessarily allow you to do the exact same things that somebody else does. And maybe you won't have the same measure of success, but maybe your, your success might come, you know, two years down the road, even though you think it should happen now and you just have to be patient and wait for it. Mm-hmm. What what's that word patience? That's something I'm still trying to learn because that's that's really hard to come by. But no, for real. I mean, you can see so many people online, you know, building businesses and stuff. But you rarely do you know the blood, sweat, and tears that they went through to build all that. The time, the you know, maybe they quit their day job, and that's why their content is going up through the roof. I mean, yeah. you just never really know. But it's it's that old expression, like the grass is always greener. Like, yeah, exactly. oh, it looks like they have their life figured out, their business figured out, their social media figured out. Why can't I do that? When yeah. in reality, they might be looking at our content and be saying, "Hey, why can't my content be as good as theirs? Like they're doing oh, yeah. it a different way. It's not better, but it's different. Like, why can't I get to that point?" Yep, yeah, that's for sure. Yep, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's wild. And so, I mean, there's something that um, I think in in Wyoming, in the United States, I think in Montana, they're making more resources available for farmers in terms of mental health. I mean, is there are there more pushes like that in Canada? Like what what's Canada what's Canada doing for um, for farmers and mental health? Yeah, it's definitely become a much larger movement here now, too. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of resources, even uh Farm Credit here has a lot of, mm. they'll, do, they'll do webinars and seminars and talks on it. Um, I think it's just, it's become a pretty commonplace conversation in a lot of the ag organizations. Um, and I think you just, yeah, you see more farmers coming out. And that, I mean, that is one big positive side, upside of social media too, is you see individuals that step out and really become vulnerable on these platforms and it is a great big help because and they do they reach a lot of people so it's got a lot of negatives but it's got some pretty good uh positives too yeah that's true and i mean there's been a lot more people kind of open about it i mean one show um 
I like to talk about is Ag State of Mind. It's a podcast yep. by Jason Meadows. Yeah, he's he's been covering mental health and ag, which is amazing, and more people are talking about it, talking about their struggles. Um, because, I mean, unlike, you know, I, I mean, this happens outside of agriculture, but I would say, honestly, more so in ag, where you've got more family businesses and family farms. And, I mean, when you're farming, when you're ranching, and it's a fifth or sixth or maybe tenth generation farm, like, that's a lot of pressure. Oh, yeah. Where you're not trying to just let down, you know, your employees. You don't want to let down your family, your yep. parents, your grandparents, your siblings, your kids. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And I mean, like, honestly, from a farmer's perspective, how do you step back from that? Like, how do you draw that line a little bit where you've got to, you know, make sure you're working diligently for your family, but also draw that line and just say, you know what? I also need to focus on my family right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely really tough line to <laughs> to draw on about like <laughs> yeah especially times of year like when we're planting and harvesting and that sort of stuff it, mm-hmm. it gets that gets tough because um, yeah on one side you say hey i gotta step back and take time for my family and this and that on the other hand yeah if i don't do this work right now and it rains tomorrow and our crop doesn't get in the ground what's well, <laughs> <laughs> yes um but the same i don't know it's it's definitely a tough line to draw and i think it's one it's one you kind of, it takes, I think it takes discipline to learn and discipline mm. to actually carry out. Um, it also takes some pretty open, honest conversations. Like uh, with our, with my family right now, we're doing some succession planning for the family farm mm. uh, between my dad and my brother. And, uh, and I think that really makes you step back and look at all that too. And us being able to have those open conversations with each other about what we actually want and what mm-hmm. we think will work um it goes such a long ways and i think you know sometimes we think oh that person's not doing what they should do and they're not pulling their weight i'm doing so much more you know when you sit down and actually talk about it, it yeah okay they've got this going on or that going on you know i might have to step up for this period of time or or whatever in it it all works itself out if you just actually talk about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah communication is key i mean i'm finding that you know that's so relatable in any business and any relationship, any marriage. I mean, you know, stuff happens. You might have some assumptions. They might have some assumptions like just communicate, like just, yeah, for sure. you know, don't, don't worry about it. Just have that conversation. It might be a little bit awkward. It might be a little bit weird, but you'll come out at the end of it much more appreciative and much better for the relationship yeah. as a whole. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and so, you know, you seem like you guys have got an awesome business with Copper Flats. You're trying a lot of stuff. You've got the farm store. You've got events. Um, what kind of tools, what kind of brainstorming methods, what kind of like collaborations would you recommend to um, farmers or ranchers out there that want to try some stuff similar? Mm. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think we've found a lot of friends through social media. You just you gather tidbits of information from, from different uh, different groups uh one thing like we've got our ontario bison association here so i got some really good mm. friends of that so you know we bounce ideas off each other you know some some people do an event and we think oh we can bring that here you know the friend that did it is you know like four or five hours away so it's not like we're <laughs> you know like anybody else is going to know we're doing the same thing and and you bring those to your regions or you make them custom for yourself um so yeah we got a, yeah just tidbits from here and there and everywhere um but I think one great thing is like we've got a, a chef 
right around the corner from us, uh, a great guy who loves working with local companies, and he's got his own little restaurant that he started on his farm. Um, he's got a little market garden, and he, he works out of that and buys some meat from us. And and those kind of connections have been awesome because, like, he's super willing to come out to our events and serve food and, and get to be creative. Gives him an outlet for some creativity and uh, it works really good with us. So I think some of those... Um, I think, yeah, especially for meat well, and for vegetable farms too, I think making those connections with chefs uh, can go such a long ways and you can find really interesting ways to collaborate. Um, and one of the events in the summer, we had a little, basically a little uh, farmer's market at the breakfast on the farm. Um, hmm. Another friends of ours that have a little store in town, it's all home goods, um, like decoration, that sort of stuff. Uh, they reached out and were like, Hey, want to just do a fun little pop-up market that day? I said, sure. Found 10 or 15 others and, and they all had, like everybody came out and, and, uh, yeah, we shared, shared some foot traffic. Oh, well, that's perfect. And, and I love what you said about, um, you know, having some more working with chefs. Like, I think that's so cool because I mean, having those chefs show consumers like what you can cook, what you can exactly. do, like, all the countless avenues you can take where, you know, they're not like, oh, I don't want to try bison because I don't know how to cook it. Like, mm-hmm. you go and they're like, oh, there's a chef. He's making um, bison burgers, bison tacos, like all this stuff that I already cook just with a different ingredient. Like, it makes exactly. it much more, I don't know, accessible to them, which I think is yep. huge. Yep, yep, <laughs> for sure. And, uh, yeah, that's one thing, like, yeah, exactly with the chefs doing that. Um, that's one thing we try to do, in our, like, sometimes online is just showing people, yeah, different recipes with, with different cuts, like... Uh, you know, it's, it's it's awesome that people come in and they want to buy ribeye steaks. Well, there's mm-hmm. a lot more on the animal than just a ribeye. It's <laughs> actually yeah, a pretty true. small portion of the animal. So <laughs> it's it takes a lot of education to get people uh, understanding that and knowing what they can make with different roasts and, and shank and different things like that that uh, um, maybe they didn't grow up with, right? Uh, that's changed a lot. Our... our our cooking and our family meals have really changed. Um, so yeah, getting people just to understand what they can do with all that. Cause yeah, we can't just sell ribeye steaks. <laughs> yeah, true, true. And I mean, honestly, you might have like a unlimited set of content you can choose from because I mean, there's so many recipes and so many different cuts you can use. So, I mean, yes. it, it seems like you have unlimited stuff you can pull from and unlimited inspiration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this has been awesome. So you guys are Copper Flats Bison. If people want to learn more, if they want to follow you on social media, or better yet, if they're in on if they're in Wyoming, Ontario, where can they go to kind of find you guys and try your bison? Yeah, so you can find us uh, under Copper Flats Bison Co. on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, well, you can also find us uh, on Google that way too. You'll get to our website. Um, we do email newsletters as well as for marketing. So uh, if you're on there and are interested you can sign up for that too um yeah we're pretty visible in those those three air kind of key areas and uh most people seem to be able to find us that way well perfect well we'll link all that below and of course i have to ask because i'm very jealous how in the world do you have that fiddle leaf firm behind you so <laughs> big i tried growing one one time and it died like a few months ago but that one is thriving yeah You'd have to ask my wife. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, yeah, I'll have to ask. Even winter here. That's but. pretty cool. It, I mean, it's not a fake one, is it? It's a real no, one. No, no, it's a real one. Yeah. Yep. 
<laughs> I've looked I looked them up because I was trying to grow it inside, but it eventually died. Yep. There are YouTube channels that are dedicated just to fiddle leaf ferns, but they have like <laughs> 200, 300,000 subscribers. I'm like, yeah. how? This is apparently yeah. a very focused niche, which is hilarious. Yep. I just know it's it's like constantly moving around the house. It's, you know, it it's, <laughs> it starts shedding leaves in this corner, it gets moved to another corner and fries for a while, and then it gets moved somewhere else again. So, <laughs> And I mean, those are big leaves to find on the ground. They're like yeah. the size of a plate. So you definitely yep. notice it when it's shedding. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, David, thanks so much for being on, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again to David for coming on the show and telling us a thing or two about bison. I don't know about you, but now I really want to try some bison meat with dinner. Haven't had any in a while and definitely going to have to fix that. So check them out again. All links below will be in the description of this episode. And consider sharing this episode with a friend or family member. Maybe somebody talked about bison. Maybe somebody mentioned it to you before. Maybe they even, you know... I don't know, maybe they're in um, Wyoming, Ontario, and they want to go and visit the farm, the farm store. Share this episode, that helps us out a ton. The more shares, the more subscribers, the higher we rank on various podcast platforms, and that helps us, you know, get more listeners, get more downloads, and get more people interested in learning where their food comes from and how they can engage with those farmers and ranchers through agritourism, direct-to-consumer products, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. We'll see you again next week with a brand new episode.